Hello and welcome to the Aftershock Central Podcast with Travis and Martin. Hello, my friend. Hello, Martin. How you doing, buddy? You know, I am really fantastic, Travis. Thank you for asking. It's very kind of you. Glad to hear it. My my mind is a little discombobulated from all this time travel stuff uh, yeah. because uh, you know we're going to be talking about the final issue of uh, the man who effed up time. But I also just finished rewatching all five seasons of Fringe. Ah, uh, you told you mentioned that. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, like I only know a little bit about Fringe, and I I got the sense that it was more like alternate timelines and stuff, like 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 parallel universes. Uh, it, is mm. is it time travel too? Is it is. A- it is both. Ha. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It starts off just kind of like the X Files, like a modern day X Files, but then you learn that there's an alternate universe. And then as the series progresses, the universes are fighting, but then, like, they're made to collide with each other and a new timeline forms. And then in season five, the only way to fix all this, plus something that happened with characters that show up in the first season, is to do, like, a timey-wimey, let's go into the future to prevent the far future from taking over the past. Very similar to The Man Who Left Up Time. Yes. Uh, yeah. Retroactive spoiler alert for uh, <laughs> Fringe, but it's okay because it's about time travel. So that's true. That's true. And I mean, Fringe so, ended like fifteen years ago. Well, at least ten. Yeah. So, uh, is that that's not still in spoiler territory, is it? Mm, I I think I think ten is okay. Ten is borderline. I don't know. Yeah. Why, why not? You know, like, uh, I, I just looked it up. Oh, it, it ended in 2013. That's seven years. I think even that is OK. Yeah. I mean, I as as much stuff as comes out nowadays, like nobody remembers last week. You know what I'm saying? So I'm pretty sure seven years is fine. Well, I mean, I, I feel like I've had this conversation many times. So the the, the shorthand version being. If somebody hasn't watched something, especially if it's no longer, you know, actively coming out, Mm. you know, like if you haven't watched it, don't plan to watch it. I don't think spoilers are a problem, you know, Mm. like worst case scenario, you hear you hear spoilers or whatever, and it sparks your interest and it brings you to the show, you know, otherwise like I don't know if you if you have no interest in the show if it's not your kind of show you're not going to watch it. Mm. Uh, so it's not a spoiler in that sense. Um, so yeah, like I think people can deal with it as far as especially stuff that's in the past. Yes, very true, very true. Let's uh let's let's get back to aftershock. I think before we dive full spoilers into our two books this week. Uh, we should talk about uh, this this news about the kaiju score because we haven't even seen the book yet, and it's been picked up by Sony to make a movie. Hooray! Yeah. Uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh-oh. I heard the helicopters. They're coming for us. They're coming for me. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> what it was did nice you do? You. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the kaiju score... Uh, it was announced back in April, so we hadn't talked about it because uh, we basically took that month off uh, due to uh, pandemic stuff. 
But uh, it's basically uh, like Pulp Fiction in the Godzilla universe is kind of the way that it's being described. Uh, well, like actually, a, it sounds like a genre mashup, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's There's like, like Heist meets Kaiju movie. Yes, Heist meets getting stomped by giant monsters. Um, so that's cool. I'm excited for that. That's coming out in uh, the comic comes out in November, November 25th. Um, you know, with the way things are going now, I don't know when production starts on this film, but uh, but it's cool to see that these books are uh, getting picked up for movies. I just want to see nuts. one of these movies, dude. Is it nuts that it it got optioned before a single issue was released? Like, do you think there's multiple issues that you know are in? at least partially drawn or, you know, like, huh? Yeah. That's a good question, man. With, uh, with the pandemic stuff, I'm sure they're kind of far ahead and maybe like the announcement got pushed back to, to make sure that like the, the industry was in a slightly better place. Um, so they, I mean, they may have either most or all of the story already laid out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just I'm just curious, like if you if they just had a phenomenal pitch or something, and and a treatment for what was going to happen in the story, and that was enough to be like, yeah, why not? Well, you know, we'll option this because I know like being optioned doesn't mean it's going to be made either, for sure. That's true. That's true. But it does give you a nice check. Sure, and like yeah, like I think it could bring attention in from elsewhere as well you know like i don't know to the extent people follow these things it's like oh this is already gonna maybe be a movie yeah yeah, yeah. so let me check it out you know yeah that's one thing that we don't usually talk a lot about on on this show because like we just haven't seen a movie yet but uh but a lot of aftershock books do get option for film animosity yeah animosity and, being one of them uh, lost city explorers yep I think that was a TV show, right? Lost City? Or was that I a movie? I think so, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, whatever, man. I'm excited. Just uh, bring these movies out, bros. You know what I mean? Let's see them. It could be a big thing, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I like the fact that we have, like, comic book movies that can come out that are not Marvel. Or DC. Or DC, yeah, that's true. Like, those are fine, but, like... Uh, you know, when you when you make a movie from an indie book, I think it can have a wider appeal in some sense. I don't know. Maybe that's not true anymore. Because the MCU's done really well for itself. Yeah, I mean, MCU is the mainstream. Um, but, you know, I think more often than not, you know, with stuff that's not big to superhero stuff, you you don't even realize it's a comic book, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, nobody realized that, that Bloodshot... <laughs> was a comic book adaptation. Like, why would they? Well, I'm thinking more movies like um, like Road to Perdition or uh, Red, like those kind of movies that are based on comics. And I had no idea until, like, way after the movies came out. And I'm like, oh, they're comics? I should go read them. Men in Black. <laughs> Men in Black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. What we should talk about is comics, so let's get on it. We have two books to talk about tonight. We have God Killers War on Terror, number five, and we have The Man Who Effed Up Time, number five. We have Drawn Straws beforehand, and we will be talking about God Killers first. This is the final issue. Matter of fact, both of these are final issues. Uh, written by Mark Sable with art by Monhouse, 
colors by Hernan Cabrera, and letters by Thomas Maurer. So, Travis, mm. uh, I think uh, I think out of the two of us, I've been more positive on God Killers. Not that you haven't liked it; you, you've enjoyed it. But uh, but I think I've liked it more. It's just so like gritty, and I love the the genre mixing of like military espionage with this crazy mythological stuff. And uh, and I really enjoy this final issue, man. I uh, I really liked the the prominence of uh, Koshi the Deathless in here, and mm-hmm. uh, and of course the Baba Yaga. Uh, kind of part of me once would would have liked to see a little bit more, maybe. But uh, but it was awesome. It was awesome. And, and I like that Koshi plays such a, a big role in the opposite side of whatever the hell's going on. Uh, and and I'll, we'll talk about that a little bit when we get to the end of the issue. Because I think there is a, a really interesting moral lesson in here that uh, I kind of alluded to previously. But it wasn't really indicative of like something that was actually happening in the story until it's just flat out said in the end and uh and i really loved it man i loved it how'd you uh how'd you feel about this book uh yeah i i think that uh you know listeners may recall that i from the beginning have been a little bit standoffish about this book because i was you know like worried about the idea of like like how kind of intently it seemed to be focused on islam and and like you know, for lack of a better, like, frame, like, destroying Islam, you know, and, yeah. like, that was that was what it presented, I think, early on. And then around halfway through, it kind of transitioned into, oh, but really, it's all about Russia. And it right. didn't hit me fully until this issue that, like, how even the early stuff is about Russia, too. You know, like, the only reason... We were in Syria is, you know, because Russia, they have references in this issue about U.S. pulling out of NATO. And, you know, like, you know, I I don't know, I for for whatever reason, uh, you know, I am sour enough on (laughs) Russia that I don't mind them being the bad guys. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I'm thinking about when Stalinverse was was coming out. Yeah, and yeah Valiant. Like, yeah. yeah, like listening to David Barron talk about Russia and, you know, like, like Putin was in that story. And mm-hmm. like he was just so pissed off by all of it, you know, like just by like how kind of close it was to actual like world events. And that's kind of how I feel about this but like i think that's the point right yes yes Uh, i mean i guess you you've talked about it enough where we should just kind of get to what happens at the end before we talk about the the story then maybe um because you you do learn exactly what this book is about and and there's hints of it at the beginning of the issue as you mentioned when when the u.s pulls out of nato and you have uh you know the russian president and the american president who neither are named uh, but the Russian president does look a little bit like Putin. There, there, there's a guy on here that was like, is that is that Putin? I'm pretty sure that's Putin. Um, they're they're meeting at Camp David to strategize about something, and uh, and kind of the moral that you get uh, that you get at the end is like, 
don't be idiots. Like both sides are playing to to just gain more power, right? And and that's something that we talked a lot about throughout the series with why are they trying to like basically enlist these demons and monsters and whatever in the gin um to to do what? And and my idea was well they're using them as weapons and that's basically what's going on. Um you know, you you get a lot about you know, everyone paints the other guy as the bad guy, right? And this goes to your your Islam point from from earlier on in the book, where you know you paint the opposite group as evil monsters. Yeah, you know, I think of like World War II propaganda, right? When when the Nazis are displayed as uh like snake like reptile beings or whatever, right? And uh, but like they were doing the same thing, right? And Russia does the same thing. But then at the same time, like the the presidents are meeting in Camp David, having a good time, talking to each other or whatever, uh, as if nothing's happening. And meanwhile, just like everybody else comes up with all these crazy conspiracy theories, which he says not to believe any of it because it's all just following a narrative. Um, you know, question every belief, every narrative. Uh, mine, of course, but most especially yours. This is how the book ends. And, and I really like that because – there's stuff that's thrown in here that is very pertinent. I, I would say more pertinent than some of the other stuff, like the fight between the West and, and the East or Christianity, quote-unquote, and Islam. Um, you know, Basically, the, the Baba Yaga is at Camp David with the Russian and the U.S. president because they've both made deals to, to get more power. And how do they do that? Well, they uh, – <laughs> They they let the Baba Yaga get do child trafficking, you know what I mean? Uh, it's like here's a bunch of kids, just give us more power and more money, and and of course that's stuff that comes out in conspiracy circles. I know you're not too familiar, but I can enlighten you on this because all you ever hear on Reddit nowadays is this pedophile satanic cult that rules the world, and and that's kind of at the heart of what this issue is drawing upon, except. Yeah, you know, they're they're kind of serving the Baba Yaga, and and yeah, that does hit close to home. But also, like that's the reality of things. You know what I mean? And we can't just deny what's going on. Like there's some some weird stuff happening. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's you know I'm not saying it's pedophile Satanist worshiping Baba Yaga, but like there's weird stuff going on. You know what I mean? And you can't trust anybody in politics. I mean, yeah. Uh... Yeah, I I guess some of the news coverage uh, that was featured in the issue kind of frustrated me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe it just frustrated me because it was a little bit too realistic (laughs) and that it really seems to be like a big ball of nothing. Mm. You know, like, like they're just like, I don't know. Who knows? You know, like some people are saying it's this. Other people are saying it's this. Like, we'll never know. OK, great. <laughs> Good right. story, bro. Well, but isn't that what happens in real life? Like, we never know. Uh, I mean, there are there are a lot is a lot more, I think, that is knowable um, that could be contextualized by the media that they tend to just both sides, you know, like they kind of, you know, I, I think the media like for years has not really taken an active stance in being the arbiter of truth 
and and not just the arbiter of this side says this this side says this is like yeah you know like without context what what is the value of that you know like i you know i don't know like i think it's a frustration that a lot of people have in in kind of uh interacting with the media is they they tend to not necessarily really believe that there is any kind of objective truth out there and like this is obviously different you know like i'm not surprised that the media wouldn't know what happened in this story nobody was there and people that were there don't want to talk about it um but you know it it does speak to things that actually exist in real life in that sense yes yes well i mean it's it's controlled opposition. So you're you're fed a story from one side and the other side feeds you a different story and it just pits groups against each other so you never find exactly what's going on. Right? Like that's the whole point of it. And and you're right. Like in 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 real life the media doesn't take that stance anymore. Um I mean maybe to an extent in like a partisan way, but that still doesn't hit at the truth, right? Like there's very few real journalists left in journalism because we just have this 24-hour news cycle, so there always has to be some kind of story to be followed. And and you can't do real hard-hitting journalism in that kind of environment because uncovering truths requires months and years in order to get to like what's going on, right? And... Uh, and in the end, we just end up getting conspiracy theories. And that's something that uh, Sable says a lot in this book towards the end. Uh, because we don't know what's happening. We just come up with these crazy ideas. And, like, maybe there's some truth to those ideas, but they're not the truth. Right? The truth is always hidden from you. And uh, and I really like that quite a bit. Um, because, it number one, it does fit with the, the espionage military feel of the book. Uh, but, you know, it also does hit a note in real life. You know, like with this COVID thing, what are you supposed to believe, right? Is hydrochloroquine real? Is it not real? Nobody knows. Is the virus real? Is it not real? Nobody knows. Is it super deadly or not super deadly? Nobody knows. Because, like, the story changes every 10 minutes. Uh, so, uh, so but, disagree. Disagree with that. Uh, you you lost me there, but... With which part? Otherwise, oh, all of the COVID stuff, you know, like, I think people know. You know, despite a robust dis- disinformation campaign, I think people know that, you know, hydroxychloroquine is deadly and the virus is real and they know what they need to do. All right. I, to... I, maybe I oversimplified. For, I'll give you a better example. Okay? Cool. Sorry. So, yeah. so, so the CDC makes guidelines. Everybody has to wear a mask. And then all of a sudden, well, you don't need to wear a mask. But now it's like, well, now you have to wear a mask again. And then, like, make sure you use hand sanitizer to wash your hands. Well, but not, like, every brand is good. And, like, some hand sanitizer is okay, some is not. Uh, you know, the the death toll is, you know, 1%. It's half a percent. It's a quarter of a percent. It's 3%. Uh, you know, in early days, it was, like, up to 12%, uh, especially when they were dealing with Italy. So all I'm saying is because of the 24-hour news cycle, you never get – any solid information you just get up-to-date information and that may seem fine 
but ultimately it causes confusion and disillusionment in the information that you're given. And so you end up not knowing what information to believe and what not to believe. That's kind of more the point that I'm trying to make. I I mean, I see your point about the, you know, the news cycle basically requiring pushing out stories faster maybe than they've been sussed out. And, you know, like there, there certainly is a widespread lack of understanding of how science works for sure at least at least in this country and that tends to frustrate people um but you know like all that aside you know like obviously i think i think we can see what's going on in the story which is that you know the u.s government is being held captive by you know russia you know kind of you know for sympathetic reasons in this case you know but you think it's being held captive? I didn't get that at all. I thought they were working together. I mean, you know, like the um, the dude, you know, his, his kid is being held by the Babiaga, right? And yes, uh, that's true. But that's not like he's not ultimate power. Like the the guys that we see as leading both countries are just like they're playing golf at Camp David, basically. Yeah, but why is the Babiaga there? Well, the Baba Yaga is there because those leaders made deals with her for more power in exchange for children so she can eat children. But you don't think she explicitly is on Russia's side? No, she's on her own side. She doesn't give a crap who wins. I mean, doesn't she want the world to end? Isn't that what what her agenda was in this story? She doesn't care who wins. Yeah. Interesting. And and that goes with the mythology of the Baba Yaga. You know what I mean? Like <clears throat> you can use <clears throat> the Baba Yaga as like a teacher, right? Like I think that's part of the mythology. Like if you come to the Baba Yaga like really respectfully and like treat her nicely and ask her like, hey, I need advice on this, she'll be like super nice and give you advice. But if you're not, she'll kill you. Um but then like, you can offer stuff just like – I mean that's why we have the jinn in here as well, right? It's, it's a very similar concept to the jinn. You, you ask for a wish and your wish is granted. But you know, there's repercussions to it. Mm-hmm. I mean I think everyone's got an idea of genies like, uh, you know, like Aladdin. I, I like, that's why I liked when it was brought up in here when, they, when uh, he mentioned Aladdin because uh, everyone's got this like Disney fantasy of what the jinn are. The jinn aren't that at all. The jinn are like super evil. Yeah, I admit I'm not I'm not the uh, the folklore expert that you are. Sure, sure. But the and, and it's mentioned a lot in this in this issue. There's the Aladdin thing. There's that one scene where he's like, I'm I'm not making any more Faustian uh, deals. Like that's the same thing. Uh, are you familiar with Faust? Yeah, yeah. It that the way that Faust kind of plays out is kind of how Jin stories would play out or stories with the Baba Yaga involved. It's all the same thing. You you want more stuff, and they'll give it to you, but it'll cost you. It might cost you your children. It might cost you your soul. Uh, you know, you might ask for a million dollars, and like the genie gives you the million dollars, but you're like trapped in a box with a million dollars. You know what I mean? You can't mm-hmm. actually use it. Um, that's kind of the the ultimate underlying moral behind all this stuff. And and meanwhile, you have people that genuinely believe that, like, there's a conflict. So this guy whose kid has been kidnapped, 
Uh, we have the, the team that we've been following the entire time thinks there's some conflict and like ultimate good that they're fighting for. And none of that is true. They're just being played so that whoever's higher up keeps amassing more power. I mean, you don't think that this whole operation from the beginning was somehow predicated around like, you know, dealing with Russia's arsenal? I mean, maybe in some regards, but with the way this final issue wraps things up, I see it more as that's just like a way to maybe try to get in over Russia. Because, you know, we, we live in a, a united world, right? If, you know, it, if Russia goes away, there is an imbalance in power in the East. And then that leads to more issues. That's, that's why we have so many issues in the Middle East. Because like, oh, here's this leader. We don't like him. Let's uh, you know, let's let's give this group weapons and money so that they can overthrow that government. And then they go and overthrow the government. But then those people are, you know, the whole time they kind of been playing to get this power. When they actually become the leaders of the place, they're like, you guys are freaking bastards. Now we're gonna come after you. All right. So you get like Bin Ladens and ISIS and all that stuff. And you know, ISIS does play a role in this book. Um. But like all those groups are funded by the U.S. government, so in order to get rid of one evil, you end up creating a greater evil, um, in order to consolidate your power. And and with the way the world works, you you can't really do that anymore. And so a lot of times in public, you get these press conferences where you're like, oh, you know, we're gonna do this peace treaty and that peace treaty, and uh, you know, well disarmament and whatever. It it's all just for show. Because at, at any point, when any side finds some kind of advantage over the other, they're going to take it. Yeah, maybe. You, you know, like, I, I think that, you know, there are allies and then there are adversaries. And you're not necessarily going to jump on, you know, things that benefit you to the detriment of your allies. In, in theory, you know, like, maybe we've been doing that in recent years, but that's not necessarily, you know the smartest way to operate. Um, I mean, I, I guess I, I get your point, but I would argue that alliances are purely temporary um, a, as a way to just kind of continue your existence. And, and those alliances can change at any point in time. I mean, the thing with Russia and the U S is a prime example since, since that's the, the center of this book. I mean, how many times have Russia and the U S been allies and enemies in the past hundred years? I, I mean, you know, there was a big stretch where they were enemies unambiguously, you know, and then, you know, there was maybe a decade or two where we thought that that we were on the same side. But, you know, seems like like once Putin came in, they, they're not really wanting to be real allies anymore. You know, like they kind of just, you know defaulted to more of a cold war stance across the board and we're still seeing that okay i don't know like i you know i guess i'm just struggling why like in this comic for example the u.s government chose to pull out of nato you know like which is a legit alliance if if they weren't under some kind of leverage from russia Okay. I, I appreciate that you have such a positive worldview. I mean, I think alliances 
some of them do exist because of shared values, you know, like United States with Europe is a good example, you know, that like that we want to we want to engage with other democracies, you know, like there are other alliances that I think, to your point, are maybe a little bit more calculated and they don't share our values. And those probably are the ones that we're more apt to, you know, betray or, or just, you know, let lapse when our objectives diverge again. Okay. Like I said, I appreciate your positive outlook on world politics. (laughs) Uh, well, I, be- I, be- I believe that you're very wrong. I mean, I appreciate your pessimism, too. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm a pessimist. I think I'm a realist. I don't, I don't think that any of these governments have anybody's well-being in mind but their own. But the only way to sell that is to create some kind of dream around it, some, some boogeyman. Uh, in, this, in this book, being literal boogeyman, right? They're fighting monsters and ghouls and Jin and Baba Yagas and whatever else. Yeah, I mean, like to that point, I think it, it is a little interesting, and the the book kind of plays it out, you know, in the text as far as like they're called the God Killers, but really we don't see any gods. All we see is monsters, mm. and I, I I would apply that to the Russian characters as well. So, like, you know, I think it's it's interesting they chose to call it God Killers and. What is the distinction between those two things? Like, is there a distinction? Right. I don't know. But and, I, and they never really answer that question in here. Mm-hmm. I did appreciate, though, the thing in this issue where the one character was talking about the melting pot and the idea that, you know, Russia has their own monsters, but we can have everybody's monsters. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. That is very true. Now, the question becomes, is that on purpose so that we can have a larger arsenal of weapons? Well, then you also get into, I mean, I, I like there's a there's a, a statement in this issue about the nature of weapons and, you know, like that they are neither good nor bad, you know. So, like, what are we what do we want to do with the weapons? Mm hmm. Why do we want the weapons? Sure. Uh, yeah. I, I. Yeah. I don't know. I. I think. I don't think that's why we have the melting pot, but I think it's it's an upshot of it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, what else on this one? The one thing I think also that I that I wasn't clear about was just kind of a throwaway at the end of the issue where they mentioned some high-value detainees at Guantanamo and their eyes are glowing. Mm-hmm. What was your read on that? Um, I figured at least the ghouls, uh, the ghouls. They, yeah, that they fought early on, uh, but maybe just another army of monsters Yeah, that they can unleash whenever there's another conflict. Yeah, I mean, like, I... I didn't have a read on it. Like I was thinking maybe the Penanglin, but that like doesn't necessarily jibe with, you know, the one character saying that the, you know, like she was giving it freedom. Right. 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 It's like, Oh, JK, (laughs) we're, (laughs) we're going to lock you away again. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The, the, the ghouls, I think, I I think that maybe was my second guess. 
Yes. All right. Let's uh, rate it up. What you got? Uh, I'll go four out of five. Great. I will go four and a half out of five. Cool. All right. Let's get into our second book of today, The Man Who Effed Up Time, number five, written by John Lehman with art by Carl Mostert. Uh, DQ Niff and Mark Dale on colors and John Lehman on letters. Hey, I didn't even realize that till I just read that. Damn, dude. That's cool. I think I said the same thing with last issue. <laughs> Come to think of it. <laughs> Getting into the nitty gritty of lettering. That's, I don't know. Hey, that's cool. Uh, there, there was some really good lettering here though. Uh, like I don't want I'm not going to spoil what it is yet, but at the end when he's like giving his theory as to who, who did this whole thing. Uh, I like the way that the, uh, the the panels were laid out because you have like a character description in yellow and then that person talks in a white word bubble immediately below it and it's attached to the description. Uh, I like that kind of stuff quite a bit. Mm. Uh, yeah, so so final issue. We, we find out who done it because as we are told several times, this is at its core a whodunit story. And uh, whodunit, a lot of people done it. Mm. And nobody done it. One person done it. Really, one person done it. Um, but uh, who's who's that? Sean. Wait, which one? Sean, the main uh, character. Okay. Yes, okay. The main character. Uh, should we should we just get to the end? Since we're, I mean, everyone knows this is spoiler talk anyway. So, yeah. So let's just get to that. Don't be coy. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Sean did it to himself. Because he's the one that created the time travel machine. He wasn't a janitor. He was like the smartest man in the world. And by creating this machine, uh, caused his team to like create alternate timelines. And they're like, ah, we'll just blame it on Sean. So like by accident he's being blamed because they have these like holographic suits that they can – like the little button they push and they turn into a hologram of Sean. Um but also, like, he did it. It was his idea. And so part of the way to fix the whole thing is for him to destroy the machine and all his notes and all that stuff. So that the timeline that caused him to be blamed for altering the timeline never happens. And then all the other stuff that he's messed up from the beginning never happens. Um, I mean, I, I think I have a bone to pick. Sure. Which is... It seems to me like the rest of the team beat him to it in a way. You know, it's like we like we see the scene where, you know, he's about to to test it for the first time and his future self walks in through the gateway and stops them, but the upshot of that is everybody is like, "Oh yeah, like I already used it and like, you know, like took some stuff from the past or met people from the past, you know, it like yeah. there's a revelation that uh, I didn't really see coming that, you know, when we started the story, the time had already been altered, you know, right. which I I'm kicking myself because I, I had a similar series theory to that when when. Back in the day, I was discussing Faith in the Future Force uh, mm -hmm. with the idea that you're dropping into a time travel story, but what if it's already been altered, you know? So, like, I don't know. If you take it on its face, it seems like everybody is guilty for 
the time effery except for Sean in, in this scenario. And once they realized that, you know, people would might be coming after them, that's when they were like, oh, let me put on this disguise and frame our boss. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah, I like the twist. Uh, I mean, it's not like totally unexpected. Uh, and again, like I mentioned before, having just watched, you know, 100 episodes of Fringe um, before reading this issue, I kind of saw something like this could happen. But but I like the execution quite a bit. And and I love the fact that Sean just like kind of breaks the fourth wall with it, right? Um like directly talking to the reader about, you know, don't forget it's a who done it and like this is what I'm gonna do and this is what happened and this is how we're gonna fix it and and then going out and doing those things. Uh I, I appreciated that quite a bit. And of course I mean it's John Lehman, right? So he's just got this like very fun way of of telling things and just kind of like making fun of himself as he's doing it and and i can always appreciate somebody that can make fun of themselves uh because time staffer stories are just complicated right that's why they're ronnie's least favorite the whole yeah. timey-wimey thing he hates him which is weird because he loves doctor who and that's what that is <laughs> it's a show about timey-wimey does he really hate those stories i was joking yeah he's not a big fan of convoluted time travel stuff what yeah Yes. I, I, I was going to say, I feel like we're at a loss not having his his insight with all the timey-wimeyness. I agree. I agree. Um, so anyways, I, you know, I, I didn't – usually when I, when I get to a final issue, I oftentimes do a reread of the whole series. Um, I, I didn't do it for this one. Maybe I should have because some of the stuff that was brought up just kind of like I had forgotten – but uh, but even then, like I think Layman does a really good job at giving you the gist of like how we got to the place where we're at, and uh, and and it felt fresh, man. I I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. Uh, I don't think the the timeline that the world resets to at the end is the original timeline, um, because you, yeah. you you still see dinosaurs and stuff flying around. Uh, you just no longer have the future force, and like he's no longer in peril, right? So in some respects, he does reset to the beginning because he's back to being the boss. And and I love that, like, he and that – what was his name? Chad or whatever. Uh, such If your name is Chad, I apologize. It's such a terrible name. Uh, it's just like if – he's, if he's, Chad is just such a douchey name, right? That's why it's perfect for that Nickelback guy. He's just such a douche. And uh, anyways. But I, but I like the fact that they – sound like a regular incel, dude. <laughs> But you have kids, so I don't get it. Why? Because I don't like Chad Kroger? No, like, Chad is an incel term. Oh, I didn't know that. Chad is like the the guy that, you know, ladies bone that's not you. Instead of you. Oh. Interesting. I wonder, I'm sure Layman knows that. Maybe that's why he used it. Uh, I'm not saying he's a, he's an incel. Let me, let me backtrack. I'm just saying I'm sure he's familiar with the term. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that, but that's that's good to know. Now it makes perfect sense. He is such a Chad. Mm. And I don't know anything about incels, but I think they're right on this one thing. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Chad is a douche, so they, yeah. Yes, Maybe yes, just yes, a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also really like that uh, that it turns the, the stereotypical 
uh, time travel trope on its head, where usually like you want to go back in time to kill Hitler or whatever, like some evil guy, and and here he basically goes back in time and kills Lincoln. Like he he stops Lincoln from getting killed, but then he kills Lincoln. I mean, but he kind of turns Lincoln into Hitler early, like earlier in the story. You know, yes. like maybe maybe it's like not Lincoln's fault or whatever, but like by virtue of Lincoln getting saved, the country turns into a monarchy, and there's you know twenty some more. King Lincoln's, you know? Yes, 23, so, I believe. Yeah, so it kind of needs to happen. Sure. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's an interesting subversion of that trope, for sure. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah, it was cool. I, I enjoyed that a lot. And uh, and I, I liked all the, like, the quick back and forths where we, we learned like, how the uh, Future Force was created. Or the future mm-hmm. police, whatever. Uh, not the future force. That's somebody else. And uh, how they're created and how he uses their prime directive in order to have them basically destroy themselves. Uh, well, he kind of like – it's not that they destroy themselves, but it's like he kind of says, you left me no choice, basically. You know, that mm-hmm. like – that there was no way for me to get out of this. You made it clear that, like, this was the only way, was to get rid of the future police or whatever. Right. Um, Which I think, especially given your point earlier about, you know, that, like, time really isn't fully corrected, you know, like, I feel like the the last page of, of the story, they basically are like, oh, back to normal. Or close enough, you know? Yes. But it does not seem close at all. <laughs> so it's close enough for a single person. You right. Know? It's close enough for our hero. And who knows what else is going on, you know? But, uh, you know, I, I think it begs the question, you know, would it have been quote unquote better if the the future police had won, you know? Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. That does make sense. Um yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I think you're you're absolutely right actually. That the the only reset that is back to normal is is Sean's story, right? Like he's got his girlfriend back, he's back to being the boss and the smartest man alive. But there's like pyramids and castles in whatever town they're in and there's dinosaurs flying around and like swimming in the in the lake or whatever um i guess like it's cool that people didn't turn into uh bug people anymore like that's awesome and uh, and who doesn't love dinosaurs so like i mean if there were still dinosaurs here i'd be like hell yeah time's back to normal like dinosaurs are cool everybody loves dinosaurs so like maybe maybe it is better the way that it ends (laughs) because at least we have dinosaurs now yes i agree you can ride him this one's got a he's got a harness so you can ride him around i mean i was gonna say that basically it's dinotopia right Uh uh-huh so does that mean that it is a utopia because there's dinosaurs uh i think you make a good point and you are correct just the simple fact that there's dinosaurs makes it the perfect place People love dinosaurs, man. I'm telling you. 
I'm telling you, they're the best. I used to want to be a paleontologist when I was little. But now homeboy's dinosaur skeletons are worthless. Well, you know, that's what he gets for messing up the timeline. It's true, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, really fun. Really enjoyed it. You got anything else? Well, I I just would say that, you know, in case there's anybody that is on pins and needles about all of my pedantic <laughs> hand-wringing about uh, time travel logic and whatnot, like, I think it actually ended up working, you know, like, the, the kind of, the way that basically, you know, if you stop people from going back in time and doing this stuff in the first place, that you can actually fix it. So maybe, like, basically, whatever whatever changes have happened to the timeline, that all represents stuff that happened before Sean was like, no more time travel. Right. Uh, but, like, I was pretty satisfied with the mechanics of getting it all, in theory, back to, to normal um you know like for those who are are you know overly pedantic about how time travel causality works i think it kind of holds in this story so that's a plus in my book agreed you you have made a fatal mistake though what's that every single time we talked about this book you made a bill and ted reference and you did not do one this episode. Shame on you. Mm, party on. <laughs> Very good. Uh, let's rate this up. I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5. I will go 4.5 out of 5, actually. Ah, we did an old score switcheroo today. The old switcheroo, yeah. Uh-huh. Very Who saw good. that uh, Everybody. Somebody with a time machine. <laughs> all right that's gonna wrap up this episode of the aftershock central thank you for listening of course you can find us on twitter at the gray magnet at geek Fun, at aftershock pod thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one